Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. This is episode 40. And now, back to actual Chris. All right. Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoy we my weird voice, low voice, Steve Skocek voice. It was completely <laughs> by it. accident. I have no idea what happened there. Um, but it was enjoyable while it lasted. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was an absolute thing of beauty. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, my friend, welcome. Welcome. How are you, Michael? Just great. Yeah. Even though we're back to regular boring Chris. Yeah. Still good. <laughs> uh, yeah. My voice yeah. is not making anybody pregnant anymore. So that's. That's a plus side, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? What's that line from Flight of the Concords? Um, lip from oh, Hippopotamus. Yeah. The rhymes are so potent; <laughs> they make all the ladies in the area pregnant. <laughs> good times, good times. So. Uh, speaking about a flight of the Concords, we're we're taking a flight over to another podcast to discuss their points. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah, we're gonna respond to them anyway. Yeah, um, do you, you want to give a little introduction? So, or I guess I'm gonna give the introduction for that, right? So this week we're talking about. There was a podcast that was released a few weeks or a couple weeks ago um, by the two Catholic dudes. You can find them basically everywhere. Um, we'll link it uh, in our show notes. Um, but the two Catholic mm-hmm. dudes in their episode 24 that came out on the 13th of January was titled Novus Ordo and the Latin Mass. It's a Catholic both and thing. Um, they go on mm-hmm. for about an hour and 13 minutes, waxing about their their issues with traditionalists, particularly with mad trads uh, and Mm -hmm. a lot of their arguments. We kind of, we won't be able to address all of them because there was a lot, Uh, but we just thought, yeah, we would like to respond to some of the big overarching things. uh, Yeah. And they, and they did say on their podcast, you know, obviously they know not everyone's going to agree and they welcomed charitable feedback and discussion on the issue. And that's what we're here to do because mm-hmm. we obviously disagree with them on a ton of things. And uh, it was kind of eerie watching it for the two of us, right? Because we almost felt like we were watching ourselves 10 years ago, maybe a little more, 12. Yeah, yeah maybe 12. Like that. With some of the arguments Um, in particular, yeah. Yeah, even like arguments that some of them we ourselves have made and a lot (laughs) of the experiences too, like we've, we were in life team masses and we were leading worship. Chris was a youth minister and various other things. We'll go through it all like a little bit more detail, but we were both kind of struck by this feeling that if someone is going to respond to these guys and understand where they're coming from and also understand the trad point of view, then it it's us. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> we, we've kind of been on both sides. You know what yeah. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, of course I know him. He's me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah listening to that podcast yeah it was it was eye-opening because it was like oh yeah it it gave you a healthy dose of realism and be like god's done some stuff you know and some pretty he's had to do a lot of work and um but also seeing that like where god met us there he's, he's meeting us here too, you know? And so as we're, as we're kind of discussing things, we, we kind of want to make sure that we make it clear, like, A, we're not hating on you. 
if you're listening to this, two Catholic dudes, we're not hating on you. Um, we're just sharing what God has brought us through and, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of growth that we've had. And we want to propose some ideas, some thoughts to you and share some feedback um, for you to consider. That's it. You know, we're not, yeah. we're, we're not coming on your Twitter. One of, one of the things that they were talking about was that there was some, I guess, where it kind of the podcast was birthed out of or the idea of it was they were tagged in a post on Instagram and it was some really angry traditionalist who said, tag a modernist and let's start a fight in the comments, which I'm like, <laughs> yeah, brutal. Yeah. And if I can guarantee you, this guy is probably 16, 17 years old, thinks he knows everything. And, uh, yeah. Um, way more passion than brains, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you're, you're dealing with two, two like adults, full adults here. Uh, Mike and I yeah, are both. We're not rad trads. We're dad trads. <laughs> and if we don't have a dad joke in this entire episode, like it'll be a, a rarity. So, but that was just a dad joke. So I can check that one off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> True. See, True. you're so used to it. You didn't even it was just, register it as yeah. a dad joke. You're yeah. just like, Oh yeah, that's a normal joke. Yeah. It's just, I didn't even think it was a joke. I'm like, yeah, we're dads and we're trads. We're dad trads. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a fact. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're already here dropping truth bombs on everyone. That's right. <laughs> Do you remember that yeah. uh that old commercial for like glad bags and they you know yeah. you know don't get mad, yeah. get glad. And it's like, no, yeah. don't get mad, get trad. Like Yeah. Don't get rad, get dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah, we should clarify, like, even when we're we're saying God has done a lot of work on us, it's not because we're saying we're super holy and no. we're like perfect and Far from you it. guys are sinners and you're beneath us or something. No. You know, we just I mean, we do think that you guys are wrong about some things. And we know that we used to think the same thing. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, we're saying we have something to teach you guys, but it's not because we're better people or we're superior to you or something. No, No. we're here to discuss our experience. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And And I guess we don't have any like authority that you should listen to us. We're just going to try to be reasonable and, discuss yeah that's it yeah similar to the way that you start your podcast you know you're not theologians you're not priests neither are we you know like i've studied theology you know i went to school and stuff for it but that's that doesn't make me a theologian i i'm i'm a theological dropout like i didn't even complete the course so (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah so take that for what it is right so yeah on the contrary, though, engineering degrees mean you know everything. So I'm actually right about theology. Yeah, that makes sense. Just saying. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I will say, if there's anybody that like I go to for like working through things, it's Mike. Because he's got like this engineering logic where it's like A plus B equals C. I've got a very artsy fartsy brain. And so <laughs> like, you know, as I was listening to the arguments and stuff, I was like, I was hearing myself, but realizing like, especially it's a Ryan, Ryan, Ryan's an artsy fartsy guy too. You know, like he's playing music for his parish and stuff. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I relate. I relate. I'm a bro. Yeah. I'm a bro. And I mean, we were both, musicians in, I mean, we, we still are, but specifically in youth masses, we were both like worship leaders, you know, we were both in the life teen band back where we met Mary Immaculate. Yeah. And, uh, 
we both moved on from there. Maybe I'll go into a bit of my story and then, sure. and then maybe can I can share mine too. Tell some of, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I, I'm a cradle Catholic and the life team mass and net team kind of caught me at that parish when I was in the questioning and rebelling phase as a teen and was just like the perfect medium for God to use to reel me back in, so to speak, you know, and keep me in the church and bring me back to confession and uh, make me actually get serious about the faith. And uh, that's kind of where it all started. And then, yeah, I w- for a while, I was also a core member when Chris was the youth minister there and moved away for school. In university, I was leading music at the student mass for a number of years. And uh, yeah, it was only really, uh, I guess, late in university or afterwards that I first went to a Latin mass, I think. I'd never gone to one any time before that. And it was many years before I ever went to one regularly, right? And it wasn't because I had any dislike for the Novus Ordo as such. Like, I remember St. Mary's, they had an amazing traditional choir there, and it was a beautiful church, Orthodox priest. And at that point, I wasn't doing music anymore, but I was like a reader there and like really involved even after being married and having my daughter there. But we, Brooke, my wife, and I went to the Latin mass in our city occasionally, just because I also loved it. And it was more getting to know the depth and beauty of that mass that kind of changed me and made me want to go there all the time. And I'd say also, um, (laughs) it was that that kind of started me on seeing some of the deficiencies and changes, even in what I considered a pretty well done, faithful Novus Ordo, where like this priest and all the people there, like they genuinely loved God, loved the Lord, wanted to do the right thing and do the mass faithfully. And yet, you know, comparing all these prayers and rituals that were just shockingly different because walking into the Latin mass as an average Catholic, you think like it's just the mass in Latin and the priest is at Orientum and that's it. When you start experiencing all the differences, it's shocking. It's like, I, I couldn't believe it, you know? So that's kind of my story. We'll get into more of the, the, details on stuff as the topics come up, but I'll let you speak your, your part now, Chris, before we get into it. Yeah. So like to give an idea of who I am. So, um, I'm 34. Um, Mike is 33, just a young guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not really. Um, but like I grew up, uh, in the charismatic renewal, uh, my entire family is Catholic. They're actually all converts uh, to the faith. I'm the firstborn Catholic of the family since like two generations. My mom came into the church through the charismatic renewal. And so that's kind of how I got connected. Um, so I was very active in that. I had my conversion, if you want to call it that, reversion, whatever. I had a big experience of the Lord when I was in grade seven that turned my life around. Um, and yes, it, we, we call it grade seven here in Canada. And, uh, you know, so just to give an idea, like Steubenville youth conferences every summer, I actually helped on staff there, uh, did a lot of stuff with them all through like middle school, grade seven, eight, and then all through high school. So I was involved in the edge program, which is life teens middle school program. And then life teen, I was in a life teen parish, basically all four years of, of high school. And so, yeah. And then I got involved in life teen 
following that, like following high school, I did a year with Net Ministries here in Canada. I started a life teen parish, like from scratch, from the ground up with them. Uh, similar to what happened at the parish uh, where Mike and I originally met. So yeah, so I was essentially a youth minister there. I was the worship leader for that parish, so I was trained with them. I went on from Net Canada, and I went to Franciscan University. I joined the music ministry there. Um, and just to give an idea of how how deeply into the charismatic renewal I was uh, about about a month, month and a half into leading music for the Friday night mass on campus. The campus music ministry heads pulled me aside and said, we've, we've received a few comments uh, from some of the people here uh, who have said that you don't have enough traditional music at your mass. Uh, we want to see that changed. And my response to them was, I don't know any traditional music um, because I had grown up through Life Teen. Okay. So all I knew was contemporary Christian music and mm-hmm. the mass parts, which were generally modern Matt Marr versions of mass uh, settings. Right. Um mm-hmm. I went on from there. Uh, I went to school there for a year. I went. I came home. I became a youth minister full time. I I assisted on the side as a music leader, a worship leader, and Mike and I did that as well uh, together. Yeah. So led multiple retreats. Uh, did music for a lot of those. Mike and I have done music for a lot of those. Mike and I were also, just as an aside, we're in multiple like Christian bands that weren't liturgical as well. Yep. <laughs> Truth Left Standing, After Exile, and Kensei. So um, shout out and rest in peace to those bands. Um, yep. Uh, I attended the Hillsong Conference. Mike and I did uh, attended Hillsong mm-hmm. Conference. Uh, we've gone to Bethel events, uh, even as a baby trad. <laughs> okay, like I was already starting <laughs> to go go to uh, the Latin Mass at that point. When I was a music minister or music leader, whatever you want to call it, worship leader, I was thoroughly I was thoroughly Catholic. I loved my faith. Uh, like you, I always vetted uh, my music. Was very keen. Mm-hmm. Mike can attest. Very keen on which yeah. songs we used. Uh, we both were yeah Yeah. (laughs) like we're like no way are we gonna have bad protestant songs here yeah like mike and i were regularly praised for our the how we led people you know people were saying they were encountering god through our music and um things like that um young people were like when i was a youth minister they were coming in droves coming to the faith And, you know, like having reversions because of the youth ministry that we were running. So things, things were good. Okay. And God was using us in that time for whatever reason he chose, but we're, we're no longer there. And, and there's a reason for that. And God, like I said, God has taken us on a journey and it's been a journey of a million steps um, yeah. but it's, you know, and it's like two steps forward, one step back sometimes. Um, but yeah, there, there's a real history there. And I think it's important to keep that as a context because when we're talking, like even for our other listeners who may be listening to this podcast, who are like, you know, you guys are hard, so hardcore trad. Remember, like, we've come from a different place. And so we, mm-hmm. we do, we understand and we're not angry trads uh, at, mm-hmm. we're not angry at people, you know, and we're certainly not the kind of people that will be like, take a modernist and let's create a fight. No, that's, <laughs> that ain't us. Um, and I don't think that represents the traditional movement in any way, shape, or form. And that has not been my experience of traditionalists at all. Actually, my experience has been the opposite of that. I felt more welcomed, whatever, um, by them. I don't know what your thoughts are, Mike, but I felt, I feel at home 
very much with him. Yeah, for sure. Like we have a really good community at our, our Latin mass, you know, all the families kind of know each other and we, uh, we hang out a lot still outside of mass and yep. stuff. Yep. So. Like the boys just got together this past week at a pub, had some mm-hmm. beers, talked about brewing beer and Jesus and it was great. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> like it, yeah. Yeah. We've got a good community. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we just, uh, we kind of found out some of the history of a friend of ours who had the opposite journey to our Latin mass being a convert. Yeah. Like into SSPX. Yeah. And uh, seeing the, new mass for the first time after being Catholic for like five years or something. Yeah. yeah he converted into the church through the, the society of St. Pius the 10th. So all he knew yeah. was traditional Latin mass and generally low masses because they were in a pretty isolated mm-hmm. uh, community. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so even our mass with like high mass every Sunday yeah. with, uh, a like big deal. everything being sung and chanted and stuff it's a huge difference yeah 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 maybe we can get into that too for sure in terms of like the differences and perhaps the misconceptions that surround even musically the latin mass yeah but we'll, we'll talk about so that. why don't we why don't we dive into the points of these guys yeah let's go video so um, I did want to have one more disclaimer, even though we've had a lot of front matter on this podcast already. <laughs> and that's just that we're going after some of the arguments and things that were said, and we're going to try to analyze it logically. We do recognize that the dudes podcast was more about responding to the haters and stuff. And it wasn't about um, researching the Latin mass and the Novus Ordo and comparing them rigorously. Mm-hmm. So we're not faulting you for failing at doing that. Cause uh, that wasn't obviously the intention, Yeah, but we are going to try to supply some of the rigor and detail and just add some depth to some of these considerations yeah. and some knowledge of the Latin mass. Again, we're not faulting you or saying you're bad guys, but no. as you said on the podcast, you haven't been to Latin Mass yet. You obviously don't know a ton about it, and not saying that as an insult. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to bring that experience and knowledge to our side. So yeah, I wanted to start it off with the idea, and this is ripped straight from a tweet by Eric Sammons. So shout out to him, great author. But he said most Catholics think. The traditional Latin mass is just the Novus Ordo in Latin ad orientum, and therefore think that people who promote the traditional Latin mass are promoting their own preference. And that's a really key distinction, I think, because a lot of the time the guys come back to this issue of it has to be both and you can't say one's better than the other. Otherwise, you're just being a hater. Mm. And I would say on the contrary, uh, it is absolutely possible to compare these masses and their differences on their merits and make an objective judgment. And I'm confident that in an objective judgment, the traditional Latin mass is superior. That's my position on that. It's a shared position. Um, I agree. I agree. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but but for the record, Obviously, we also came from the position of both are equal. It is a both and. And yeah. that that scale shifted dramatically. And it started to shift with regular, more so regular exposure too. I think that might be important yeah. to note. So like uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, the 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 more Jack dude. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> the youth minister guy, but youth minister yeah. guy. Burn to you. Whoever is the non jacked guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which on this podcast is me. Yeah. I'm yeah. the non jacked guy. 
<laughs> but uh, he was saying like he, his plan is to go once this year, which I I laud and I uh, think is just fantastic. Go, go. But I would say that the experience of going more regularly is going to be more beneficial. So I would say, you know what? Like um, there was a friend of mine, actually I was talking to today, shout out to them. I know they're going to listen to this podcast. Um, And he was saying that for them, uh, they were issued a challenge to go during one of the big liturgical seasons in the church, like Lent or Advent. And so they said, okay, you know what? For Advent, we're going to go to the Latin Mass and check it out. And that's for them when their kind of attitude towards it shifted as well. So they did, you know, their four weeks of Latin Mass and they saw the difference. So, yeah, my recommendation is maybe go a few times if you can make that happen. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not even as extreme as the uh, Dr. Kwasniewski challenge. (laughs) Have you heard of that thing that he, he wrote recently? He, it wasn't really issued as a challenge, but he kind of implied in his article that like, if I were to try to make an infallible argument that would convince everyone that the uh, traditional Latin mass is superior, it would be, this would be my prescription. Six months of going to the Byzantine Catholic divine liturgy and then six months of going to high masses every Sunday. That's it. And he just said, if someone actually does that, they can't fail to be convinced that <laughs> the traditional Latin mass is superior. So if you want to prove uh, one of the most respected uh, trad scholars wrong, you can try that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. uh yeah, obviously that's kind of just like uh, a crazy example, but yeah, totally going off the the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so they started off talking a lot about music. I kind of wanted to push the music back a bit and talk about some of the other issues first. Yeah. Um, if you're all right with that. Down. I'm down. The... Uh, the second point on my list was the whole, the mass isn't about you discussion. Mm-hmm. And they brought this up as a thing that trads kept throwing at them. Like, how can you say this? The mass isn't about you. And uh, obviously they were really annoyed by this. <laughs> you can tell like, it was kind of like, you could see the eye roll and the, Kind of just like, yeah, of course we know the mass isn't about us. But you could also tell what they mean by it and what we mean by it is two different things. Yes. You know what I mean there, yes. Chris? Yeah. They Because they say, we know the mass isn't about us. And they follow up by saying, but we got to do this stuff at mass because we're losing the teens. And to them, that makes sense because the mass isn't about me. It's about others. It's about Mm. evangelizing these teens. And that's not what trads are saying when they're saying the mass isn't about you. They're saying, you know, the mass isn't about you. Yes. But it also isn't about making converts. It's not about evangelizing. It's not about making teens feel good about the faith. Um, It's not about any human being, but about the Lord and what he's doing for us. Yeah, And it's not, it's never been in the church's history properly seen as an evangelization tool. True. It's seen as the highest worship of the Lord in, you know, the holy sacrifice of, uh, of Jesus at Calvary being made present. And uh, yeah, we, we talked a lot about this um, in the past and on other podcasts, but I know one of the things they kind of brought up as kind of an illustration or a justification of that is, you know, what about these teens who will never go to a Latin mass? Never, ever. What do we do? Do we just abandon them? 
no, I can't do that. And I feel you like you can't abandon these teens. They're, they're going to go to hell out there. You know, like that's unthinkable. They need the faith and they need the Lord, but it's, it's not a trad position to abandon them. And it never has been even when the Novus Ordo didn't exist. No, you evangelize outside the mass. And I know you wanted to talk about um, St. John Bosco and his example on this point. So yeah. Yeah. Go for it, man. So yeah. (laughs) I mean, so I, I talk from the position of a, a former youth minister, right? So again, I'm not, I'm not speaking just hypothetically. Um, but for me, one of the biggest important things that they taught us, even at Franciscan, was they would always uphold the example of St. John Bosco um, as a example of a good catechist and a good youth minister. Obviously, he's a good priest, um, but they would do that, especially for us in the context of youth ministry, because that's kind of where my focus was. I was theology and catechetics with a focus on youth ministry um, at Franciscan. So, but if you, if you take time and just study his life and this really wasn't done much at Franciscan, but if you do kind of pull back and find some resources and learn about his life, you realize that he didn't have to do anything with the mass to attract his young people, what happened is he would go out into the streets and into the village and he would meet the kids where they were at. He was doing all kinds of different things. He was known to do magic tricks and all this stuff and was just a father in a big way to them. And and really that's what a priest is supposed to be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say also all of us, especially us as men working in the church have a similar um, and not working, I shouldn't say, we're not working in the church, but men who are Catholic um, in general have that role to be fathers, not only to their own children, but to keep their eyes open to opportunities in the world to serve as uh, father figures to others. That's a little side tangent. But the point is, especially as a as a youth minister, look at St. John Bosco. He's responsible for something like 2,000 vocations to the priesthood. He didn't do that by manipulating the mass to make it appeal to them. He did it by evangelizing, by catechizing, by, let's use the modern word, he accompanied those young people in a mm-hmm. big way. He discipled, another <laughs> modern-y kind of word, he discipled them, worked and loved them as a priest. You know, love them mm-hmm. for their own sake, you know, for God's sake. And that was it. So when it comes to the question of, you know, how are we going to be able to get these teens? Even as I was a youth minister, and Mike can attest to this, was like the youth ministry. Yes, we had our life teen masses, but my job wasn't to change that mass or manipulate it or whatever. Um except do what I could as much as I could, as much as I knew at that time, right? Which was very limited to help kids understand what was happening on that altar, which was the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, right? I had read the catechism. Mm -hmm. I, you know, had, I knew what the teaching of the church is on the Eucharist and on the mass. I'm very committed to that and always have been. Um, since my conversion, it's been a big thing, a big focus for me. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Like I, I did that, but then at the same time, I took my focus and turned it not towards the liturgy, but to my youth ministry. And I said, how am I going to make this the best youth ministry that I can? And how can I evangelize these kids out in the high schools? How do I get out of my office and out of the church basement and into the schools and into like the different events around town? One of the things that, uh, just as a side story, Mike and I, like we met at Life Teen and at a different Life Teen parish than I was actually involved at um, previously. But I had met the, the national evangelization team that was stationed at his parish 
at a thousand foot crutch concert, you know, just, you know, in the same city. And so when I saw them come in, they were wearing life teen shirts. So I went up to them and I said, life teen, like, that's cool. I've been in life team before and whatnot. And we struck up a conversation. They took my number. I, you know, kind of forgot about them because they were in a whole different city than I was in. And a few weeks, couple weeks later, my phone rings. It's the net team. It's somebody from the net team, Simone, shout out to Simone. And like, she's like, Hey, how's it going? Just want to check in. How are things going? few weeks after that the phone rings it's simone again hey how's it going how's school what's up you know and she kept calling 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 and uh four months later i was like okay fine i'll come to the life team mess your life team mess you know (laughs) so yeah um but again it was that outreach that had that impact for me right it wasn't it wasn't that they modified the mass. The mass had nothing to do with it. It was the outreach that had a greater impact. Anyway, that's just a side note. Yeah. Just to kind of sum up, I'd say the position is like the goal of evangelizing and converting eh, someone is like to bring them to the point that they can enter into and appreciate the mass, right? in a sense to bring them up to that level rather than bring the mass down so to speak i know that might seem offensive to talk about bringing it down but i'm not taking it back um (laughs) (laughs) it might it might sound harsh but the way i look at it if you've changed the mass to appeal to the teen pre-conversion then what you've done essentially is not convert or evangelize the teen. What you've done is convert the mass. And really that is not the goal. The goal is to change the hearts of the people to like conform ourselves to God. And one of the ways we do that is like learning and entering into the mass that's been passed down all the way from the apostles. I mean, we don't properly, I don't think have an appreciation for how ancient a lot of the rites of the mass are in the traditional Latin mass, especially where they've been kind of left alone in the sixties. Um, <laughs> uh, and like the magnitude of the idea of changing even one small part of the mass. If you think about saints like John Bosco or like any of the saints that lived before the 20th century, changing the mass was unthinkable. Just unthinkable. Even changing the tiniest thing, much less doing stuff like turning the priest around having lay people distributing communion and stuff like that, right? We don't, I think, properly understand the gravity of changes to the liturgy these days because we've grown up in a society where it's been changed recently and it's changing all the time. But for the majority of the church, that was not the case. The liturgy was a rock. The liturgy was a constant the liturgy is part of the faith that's passed down and you know you can change like if you change the eucharistic prayer you may as well be changing the church's theology on the eucharist you know like that's the traditional attitude towards the liturgy yep yeah so and and the um, church documents make that very clear too. Like in Trent, again, we're we're not able to present every argument in a podcast form. Again, a journey of a million steps, a journey of a million books, a million Google searches, you know. Um, and it's, but yeah, I mean, 
even things like, I think it was Trent was clear. You can't even change one word, not one dot of, of the, the mass, you know? And so, um, and there was a reason for that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, definitely around the same time period is when, um, uh, Pope Pius the fifth issued his document that you see quoted a lot and sometimes misquoted, obviously by trads, um, not misquoted, but kind of taken out of context. Um, but basically warning anyone about changing any part of the missile that he was issuing. And, you know, some trads do take that to an extreme sometimes if they don't have the knowledge of, yeah, he did even change some things after publishing the missile. And there still has been a little bit of organic development since that time, but it does illustrate the attitude in the church toward the liturgy that yeah. it's something very sacred. Yeah. So I, uh, I don't know if this necessarily fits, um, but I think it was Dr. Peter Kwasniewski was talking about um, organic development of the liturgy, you know, and mm-hmm. he was saying how we understand organic development in terms of like the human body, right? That it has all its constituent parts it's just, you know, maybe something has gotten stronger, has developed and become more, uh, has become stronger. You know, like your eyesight got better. You're, you know, like when you're a baby, you can't see as well as you can when you're an adult, uh, unless you're Mike and then it's the opposite. But, uh, <laughs> I have really bad eyesight. <laughs> But, but do you know what I mean? Like you, you get stronger, yeah. you get better. The, you would not say it is truly evolution if you were to remove a limb or you were to remove one of those eyes. Uh, mm. and, you know, and so when the church understands organic development, it's in a matter, it's a matter of becoming stronger and strengthening what is there. It's not about cutting away and you know uh removing things and whatnot it's not and it i don't even think it's properly understood as an evolution it's not going from one state to another state and i and i think the word evolution was used quite often in the two catholic dudes podcast the church doesn't see this as evolution the church sees organic development that's not evolution um if you kind of understand it like it's not it's closer to like refinement or something right yeah where you don't change the nature of the thing it just um like becomes sharpened or like yeah comes uh, more comes more into focus yeah 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 kind of like how um with some of the prayers at the foot of the altar and stuff like that. Right. A lot of these are ancient prayers and Psalms and stuff that priests have been doing before mass and stuff like that. And they're moved in, what was it? The ninth century or 11th? I can't remember. It was in the previous podcast. We talked about this, but in any case, it became the practice in some areas to, do it after the procession as the beginning of um, the mass before ascending to the altar. Mm-hmm. And that practice was incorporated into the Roman liturgy. And uh, like after centuries of, of practice and stuff like that, right. this was before Pius V. So it's before there was actually um an official Roman missile, I guess. Right. Right. Um, uh, before it was formalized and standardized to that point, but yeah, like little things like that, that developed as part of the people's piety, that prayer moved from the sacristy to the foot of the altar, essentially. Mm -hmm. And these, you know, biblical prayers, are now a part of the mass it's a far cry from uh 
how, you know, prayers were kind of written from scratch for the Novus Ordo and whole sections of the mass removed completely. Yeah. But anyways, again, we're kind of getting off topic because. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Much like the two Catholic dudes, (laughs) although we have a different style, we get, (laughs) we get passionate about it too. Yeah. It's just like, we're too old to yell about it now. (laughs) So (laughs) just get all curmudgeonly and go off off my lawn, I guess. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, I can't yell because my kids are sleeping. So yeah. (laughs) Mine too. Hopefully, Uh, hopefully mine is too, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I have like a million points, but I think I, we're just going to hit the most important ones because we don't want to be podcasting for like a year here. Yeah. But um, we're already working on that with our uh, liturgical breakdown right now. Just, yeah, <laughs> that's going to yeah, go the, for uh, a year. That will go for a year. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trilogy in 37 parts yeah. Yeah. yeah each part of the mass we're kind of like oh next week we'll do this this and this and then we talk for an hour about the first one on the list <laughs> yeah. and then we have to end the podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, the so- one i wanted to move on to because it's really important is the issue of the extraordinary ministers yes. and the dudes kind of bringing up how um, I keep calling them the dudes. It's, it sounds kind <laughs> the, of funny, but the dudes abide. The, the dudes abide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the guy, the guys bring up uh, how at this youth mass they've incorporated the youth into doing all the lay people roles that you usually see in the Novus Ordo, which are all not traditionally part of the mass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I did want to preface the extraordinary ministers part by saying there is some place for extraordinary ministers in Catholic tradition, in stuff like going where priests can't and stuff like that, that goes back to the early persecutions and stuff like Mm -hmm. people bringing the Eucharist into prisons and stuff like that. But traditionally, that has always been the context of extraordinary ministers, like mm-hmm. extreme circumstances like that, where people are cut off from going to mass because they've been thrown in jail for their faith or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's never been considered a thing that should be the norm at mass, and neither is that anything that is encouraged or allowed by the current rules of the church. Mm. It is still to use extraordinary ministers of Holy communion every Sunday is still an abuse. It's against the rules. Right. Am I wrong about that? We've gone through this in our podcast on communion in the hand and stuff like that. Right. Like even in the documents where the Vatican explicitly accepted the requests of the Canadian and American bishops, and allowed communion in the hand and allowed extraordinary ministers and stuff in other documents. Although they allowed communion in the hand to be considered the norm in Canada and the United States and other places, they never gave permission for extraordinary ministers to be ordinary ministers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's, Again, just for context, dudes, <laughs> former former Eucharistic minister or extraordinary minister of the Holy Communion, whatever you want to call it, that was me. And uh, you make mention of bringing one of your teens being bringing the Blessed Sacrament to their sick grandparents. That was me. I I brought the Blessed mm-hmm. Sacrament to my grandfather uh, and to my grandmother. I think a couple times too, uh, but primarily to my grandfather. And, uh, I'm saying this from the experience that I wouldn't do it again. Um, but, but that's just another tangential point. Yeah. The idea of also practically speaking, the reasons for extraordinary ministers of Holy communion 
I've been going to the traditional Latin mass for closer to, I would say regularly, probably six years, seven years now. Um, but on and off probably for 10 or so, uh, or more. And I have never seen a traditional Latin mass that was slower in its communion line than a Novus Ordo mass. Novus Ordo masses are slow as molasses and they have more Eucharistic ministers. So, and I'll, yeah, I, I keep saying Eucharistic ministers. I know that the correct title is extraordinary ministers of Holy communion. It's just easier to say this. Okay. So even with a million EMs, the traditional Latin mass at the altar rail is faster. It's like, it just works. But there's, yeah. <laughs> but again, this is an organic development that came through the church, through the years, through the centuries. She put two and two together. It just works. Yeah. yeah. And then, oh, well, get rid of it because, you know, we're becoming <laughs> more modern. So, sorry, tangential. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah, before we get off on another uh, get off my lawn <laughs> segment, let's address the, uh, I think one of the strong points that they made on this issue, which is the example of their, their teen girl who's an extraordinary minister. And he talked about how her faith has grown and she's learned about uh, the reality of the Eucharist to the point that she has the courage to chase someone down and, you know, call them out for not consuming the host. I can't resist pointing out the fact that someone running away with the host can't be a problem with an altar rail and communion on the tongue, but that is also an aside, yeah. but you know, you can really empathize and understand with understand where they're coming from. Cause you see how this teen is growing in the faith, right? And there's a legitimate good there because like with us, God is using the situation and like he's working in that teen's life, even though not everything going on is perfect, you know? Um, and I wanted to say props to that brave teen and yeah. probably much like many other teens, she's doing her best in the situation she's in and with what she's been taught and like much like in the past we were trying to do our best and we did so many things wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of us do as human beings. Right. Yeah. Um, so no disrespect to her, even though we're not shying away from the fact that we don't think she should be an extraordinary mm -hmm. minister. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just go into like, we've done a whole podcast on communion in the hand. I just wanted to go into quickly the issue of particles of the host dropping on the floor. Yeah. This is a consequence of communion in the hand and it's something no one thinks about unless they're in trad circles. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think now, it's, I think it's important maybe to hop in and say like for us, the logical kind of step right is we recognize right what the church teaches regarding transubstantiation wholeheartedly this is mm -hmm. our lord this is jesus and mm -hmm. um so and from that love for christ in the eucharist you start asking those questions like how can he be better loved and better treated and you know mm -hmm. just like when you're in a relationship with anybody that you love you ask okay how am i supposed to love this person better and treat them correctly um and and so maybe as an aside they kind of mentioned that that point that they love jesus the tra the, tra the the two catholic guys said like we love jesus we love him so much and we want others to love him and that's where this mentality comes from too. We love him. And mm -hmm. so anyway, but continue on your point. Cause I think it, you know, keeping this in mind is important. Yeah. It's a good grounding. Cause 
yeah, I guess no pun intended. That's the underlying assumption, but, uh, um, for whatever reason, you know, <laughs> you got to point it out, be clear. Um, we talked about in our other podcast, um, how in the council of Trent they clarified, and this is dogmatic Catholic teaching that every particle of the consecrated host contains the whole or is the whole of Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, every crumb. And that is why the church has traditionally had so many practices to protect the host, not allowing people to take it in their hands other than the priest, you know, having the patent held under people's chin and, uh, you know, the altar rail and all this stuff. Yeah, and and like and, even the canonical digits of the priest, mm-hmm. right? He would keep his thumb and forefinger together from the moment of consecration until the ablutions, uh, where he his fingers would be washed with wine into the chalice after he had distributed Holy Communion. Those fingers would never separate unless they were over top of the ciborium, right? Mm-hmm. Because there could be a fragment on there. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm not saying it's like the teen is responsible for this because I guarantee she doesn't know this <laughs> or know better, but like she's, you know, distributing communion to people in the hand fragments of our Lord are falling on the floor and people are trampling him right in front of her. This is going on at, the mass because of this practice and you know <laughs> i feel bad for the moment when she's going to learn that because i remember how horrified i was learning about it it hurt yep knowing that i allowed this and i was part of this and everyone that i know and love at the church <laughs> you know <laughs> yep. allows this and is part of it. Yeah. And it's, and, a, it's such a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And to realize that this is happening. Right. And like, not that you think badly of, or hate anyone who's, who's doing this because you know, like the situation in the church is such that people don't honestly get it. But yeah, um, I was going to say, and if you're in a diocese that asks you to do communion under both species, you know, like every particle is Jesus, but every drop of precious blood, you know, of that consecrated was, which was once wine, no longer wine, um, is him. And you have him on towels, um, like numerous towels and, and have you ever seen how people treat the purificators after mass? It gets no pomp and circumstance. It gets thrown into a pile and thrown to the sacristy. Jesus is on those towels. Yeah. That's our Lord just as much as in adoration or at the consecration. Yeah. Every every particle, every drop of precious blood is him, and he receives yeah. bla- like profanation after profanation. And one of the things that was mentioned too, with regards to that, um, was you know, but think of all the the teens, right? You were mentioning this before. Think of all the teens that are coming in that, you know, this is helping them come to know their faith and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And while I would say God works in those circumstances, uh, you know, um, like he's being profaned and, and the greatest act of sin that exists is not, it's not abortion. It's not uh, human trafficking. It's not anything like that. It's profanation of God. It's blasphemy. It's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's breaking that first commandment directly. And, 
mm-hmm. when you consider the profanation of the Blessed Sacrament, that even if you look in canon law, is an excommunicable offense. Mm-hmm. Right? Scary. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If I took the Blessed Sacrament in Mass and threw it on the floor and stepped on it, everybody would be like, <gasps> you know, they'd lose it. Yeah. They'd lose it. Yeah. Even if only... of them believe in the blessed sacrament as Jesus statistically speaking. Um, Mm. But yeah, even with those numbers, it would still be seen as a huge thing, but it's happening at every Novus Ordo mass, every Novus Ordo mass that implements communion in the hand. And I think maybe we can make it uh, a side point here and say, there are unicorn masses, as uh, Timothy Gordon refers to them, where uh, masses said in Latin, ad orientum, communion is received strictly on the tongue. Um, and even if they are under both species, they intinct. So they have, so they would dip the Blessed Sacrament in the wine, or not. In the white, in the in his precious blood, excuse me, and then uh, place the host on the tongue, and there would be a patent underneath to catch any any drops or particles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, very those similar do to how very similar to how communions received in Eastern Christianity, right? Yeah, yeah, but those do exist. Although they do, they use the spoon and stuff, but right. Yeah, but I, I just thought it was important to note that those do exist. Um, so this isn't every Novus Ordo. I don't think it's uh, fair to kind of paint it with that brush because yeah. we have seen unicorn masses, but they aren't the norm. <laughs> yeah. And this is, and this is more just responding to not so much like we're not trying to go after the Novus Ordo in general here. We're just like, we're kind of responding to the, points that the two Catholic dudes brought up. And one of them was it's good for these teens to be involved in all these parts of the mass. Um, but just, we want to point out that maybe you're not considering all the angles you're seeing the good that God is doing with it, but you don't have the whole picture. If you're not considering how our Lord is profaned in these practices, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many of these things that are like really tough to hear and they hurt to hear. And like, I don't know if I would have listened to them like 10, 12 years ago. And yeah, but it's something you have to think about and pray about and actually research for yourself. I think, you know, some dude on a podcast can say this. And you don't know me, you don't trust me, you don't have to believe me, but look into it for yourself. Ask God in prayer. Yeah. Is this what's happening? Should are we doing everything we can to honor the Blessed Sacrament and treat every particle as if it is truly you? Now, yeah. Just ask the question. God can move hearts like we're just two yeah. dudes on a podcast just yeah. like we're just two catholic we're just two catholic dads so yeah <laughs> um, yeah and and maybe if i could jump on that and say maybe ask that question sitting in eucharistic adoration um yeah and because i think even for us as as friends, because Mike and I, we go back a lot of years and we've been close friends for a lot of a lot of those years. And there was a lot of time that he and I both spent in adoration, even on mm-hmm. road trips and to Protestant music festivals, <laughs> sitting in adoration <laughs> chapels, you know, yeah. spending time with our Lord. And um, I think that's an important question. Uh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, we are kind of hitting the one hour, 10 mark. Do we want to maybe split this into two podcasts and do a part two? Yeah, maybe. We still have a couple, like we haven't got to music, which is a big topic. And we haven't got to the whole discussion of, is everything okay if it's allowed? And yeah, 
Yeah. Will the church fix everything with councils and stuff like that? <laughs> All those yeah. topics. Yeah. So, so why don't we, why don't we do that? So, um, we're going to end the podcast here, um, for episode 40, episode 41 will be part two of the, uh, our response to the two Catholic dads and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but part two electric boogaloo now with even more truth bombs and charity <laughs> and dad jokes and dad jokes. Yeah. Sounds good. So, um, if you don't follow us, uh, we would love for you to come and hang out with us on social media. You can find us at theology of the buddy, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we just actually went over 300 followers on Instagram, um, which I'm really excited about. So thanks so much for those of you who listen to our podcast, uh, who are following us on Instagram. Um, give us a, give us a shout on there and just say, Hey, what's up? I listened to the podcast and we'll give you a shout out in the next podcast. Um, yeah. So you can find us there. You can find us on Twitter at trad friends, email us at theology of the buddy at gmail.com. If you have questions, thoughts, concerns, you want to yell at us, you want to call us modernists. Um, yeah or rad trads or something whatever schismatics <laughs> whatever the <laughs> um, yeah yeah um but yeah so uh from all of us at theology of the buddy stay tratty stay tratty <laughs>